South American soccer an in-depth look at the action across the whole continent, providing you with a tactical, analytical, and critical view supported by Pinnacle's unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. Halfway through the year, and now things get really serious in South America. And with the group phases done in both the Commonwealth Libertadores and the Sudamericana, we can now assess the 16 teams left standing in each competition. The next generation of stars are also looking to lift the Libertadores too. So we take a quick look at the under 20 competition currently underway in Chile, plus discuss a couple of the big South American transfer stories. All that, hopefully, in under an hour, we'll quickly move through a lot to discuss over the next uh, hour or so. And it's a pleasure to be joined by Simon Edwards. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Looking forward to today's episode. And Tom Robinson. Yeah, good to be back talking to you guys. Obviously, a lot of football in Europe has, has ground to, to a halt for the season, but things keep on going in South America. So looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, great time to really be focusing on South America, as you say, with all the uh, windows and stuff, transfer windows opening in Europe, but the football action coming to an end. All eyes focused on South America in some regard. Um, and of course, there's no bigger competition than the Copa Libertadores. We now are at the end of the group phase. The last couple of episodes, we've been talking about how things have been going, how things have been progressing, the potential of some surprises. And in truth, when we look at that last 16, we didn't end up getting too many big, big shocks in terms of the big boys failing to make the last 16. We'll probably get on to one or two names that we're finding surprising to be in the last 16 and maybe one or two that didn't quite make it. But on the whole, it is the runners and riders that we expected to be there. And as we go through the group, starting with Group A, we see two of the teams that we firmly expected from the outset to be there, even if things were a little bit more complicated. Um, Tom, from Group A, Racing Club from Argentina going through as the winners. And Flamengo, who we were talking about after that tricky start when they lost away to Alcas, eventually came through and in relatively comfortable fashion, followed Racing through in second. And despite that somewhat rocky form during the group stage and somewhat inconsistent form really since San Paoli's come in, sometimes looking very good, sometimes struggling, you'd still put them firmly among the favourites for the tournament. Yeah, definitely one of the groups that panned out as we'd expected. And I mean, even after that first surprise loss to, to Alcas, I think it's... For, for for the those of us who've, who are longer in the tooth when it comes to the Libertadores, it was one of those shocks that you you know takes you a bit by surprise, but you know realistically you know they've got enough quality to make it through that group, and um yeah, and, and so it proved. Um, I mean perhaps we weren't thinking that Racing would be first. You know they're they're sort of beginning to get into some. I mean let, maybe let's not call it great form, but I think they've only got only one loss in the last nine, um, which was that loss to um, Flamengo. Um, so. They're, they're getting there. We know that there's a, a decent side there that we've seen previously under Gargo in, in domestic football. So that's going to be a big confidence boost. Obviously, there's the worry of how do you replace Matias Rojas, who looks like he's off, uh, on going to Corinthians, um, a side that no doubt we'll come on to um, a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's one of the groups that requires less discussion, really. Flamengo clearly going to grow into this tournament um they've got so much depth and and quality there that they're going to be among the favorites again i was i was also impressed with a couple of their younger players in the last couple of rounds as well victor Hugo and wesley both standing out and again you think they've got all the money in the world to, to be buying all the top players in south america and, and yet they're also producing some some pretty good young players to boot as well so yeah i don't think anyone's going to fancy uh, Flamengo in the next round and um, I think we'll we'll know a lot more about them come the knockout phases as to w- what their chances are like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we'll see as we go through these last 16 teams and we're talking about Flamengo and Racing, we're probably looking at two teams who are, will be looking at this transfer window in terms of incomings, really bolstering what they have available going through to the knockout stages. I mean, Flamengo have already spent some money bringing in Luis Araujo from Atlanta United for the second half of the season, a big money transfer in terms of South American football or certainly one which any team outside of Brazil probably wouldn't be able to do. And I think, as you say, Racing are going to lose an important figure in Matias Rojas confirmed. They're going to have to, you'd think, have a very good window, really, not just to replace Rojas, but in general, 
to put together a team that's capable really of going all the way if that is indeed what they think they can do. So it will be interesting to see how these teams across the tournament develop over the next month before the last 16. Of course, the draw coming up later on this week. Um, Simon in Group B, um, we obviously had one of the Colombian sides who we talked about going very well earlier in the group. They ended up just falling out with a, a dramatic final day defeat. But we ended up seeing Internacional and Nacional of Uruguay taking the two spots for the last 16 in Group B. Yeah, I think overall this group was quite even, but I don't think there were any real standout contenders coming out of this group from what we've seen so far. Uh, Medellin obviously will be very disappointed to have missed out on the final day. Nacional just about got it over the line against Metropolitanos, uh, who finished the tournament as one of the teams. Historically, there haven't been that many who finished with zero points from six games. So disappointing for them. And Nacional made, you know, Made some decent work of it. Obviously, they had plenty of chances, but I don't think uh, any of these teams are hugely impressive. Obviously, international, we would have expected to have progressed, and they did, although it wasn't, you know, out of canter, I'd say. Obviously, final day, good win against Medellin 3-1 there in Brazil. Um, so, yeah, obviously very disappointing for Medellin, but I think in international and national, personally, I don't see either of them as semi-finalists, quarter-finalists, potentially, but I don't think that they're top, top teams. I think they're a little bit limited. Um, there's some, some good quality in attack, for example, for Internacional, but there's nobody who's massively exciting. I think you know what you're getting with them. So um, good for those two teams to get through, but I don't know, nothing, nobody really jumps out on me. Although, Tom, am I underselling these guys or what do you think? No, I think you've, you've got it pretty spot on in terms of, you know, an interesting group because it was so tight and it went down to the uh, wire there. And especially with that, I think the, the really key goal in this group was um, that late equaliser for Nacional against Internacional. Um, Bruno Damiani, the, the young um, player there, getting a, getting a big header really late on. And I think that set Nacional up to, to get the win against Metropolitanos. But yeah, I mean, I, I do like, I mean, Luis Adriano, he's a, it's a classic Libertadores centre forward. He, he really showed his class in that game against Medellin, um, showing his strength, his awareness, his ability just to open up and, and have a nice shot. Like I, I thought that was, that was that little bit of class that kind of blew away Medellin in the first half hour. Um, and, you know, they've, they're clearly a difficult side to beat in terms of, a, you know, they went unbeaten, even if they weren't necessarily romping home. Um, and, I, yeah, I do like the look of Mauricio as well, who um, was heavily involved in that, that Medellin win as well, just 22 years old. Um, definitely got something about him as well. So, yeah, like you said, don't think these either sides are going to bother the, the later rounds of the Libertadores, but, you know, they're going to be tricky customers for whoever comes up against them. Yeah, which brings us on to Group C. And, and this was one of those that was very much sewn up very early on. I think even last month when we were talking about it, it already looked basically wrapped up. Um, Palomedas and Bolivar, the two that have cruised through from that group. Palomedas, one of the teams who suffered that defeat, shock in inverted commas, uh, away from home on the opening day, but since then have won five games, gone through to the last 16. And, and Simon... Once again, I think we'll be putting Palmeiras right up there among the favourites to potentially go all the way again in the Libertadores. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, they combine you know good experience, good quality with some youth and with a lot of nous as well. Generally, we see Palmeiras a very disciplined, very effective team. So they sealed their their prom- uh, progression. It was long, long confirmed, but they, they finished off the group with a dominant win against their big rivals, Bolivar. Uh, who would have saw that coming? Obviously, the Bolivian teams at home can be strong, but they picked up some big performances away from home as well. So they actually finished as the best um, second team, second place team in the whole of the Libertadores this year. So while obviously it would have been an amazing story if they'd managed to get the points away in Brazil and finish top, but they're still going into the second round as the team with the most points uh, that finished second and you know thoroughly deserved. You know they're, they're well ahead of good teams in Barcelona and Cerro Porteño. These are these are teams who get out of the group. These are teams who are tricky and competitive. To see to see Bolivar progress not just on their home form but also picking up some big wins away is is very impressive. So yeah, obviously Palmeiras in the com- conversation for potential champions. But uh, but yeah, you know lots of respect for Bolivar and if they can do something away from home, then who knows if they get the right draw, they might be able to. Um, 
to, to upset somebody in the knockout round as well. Yeah, I think given historically, as we know, and as Palmeiras found out on match day one, how difficult it is to go away. I don't think that will be a, a tie that many people would be looking forward to if they get it. And this year, they've certainly shown with that 4-0 win away to settle Porteño during the group that they are better than previous years as well on the road. So certainly a team to keep an eye out for in the draw. Because as I say, I don't think many teams will want to face them. Um, group D, Tom, at the halfway stage, we were talking very highly about Fluminense as, as potentially one of the teams that could go and challenge. They still might, but the second half of the uh, the group has looked a little bit more shaky. They've dropped off in their form. They go through as group winners, joined by River Plate. Again, one of the teams that maybe pre-tournament outside the Brazilian clubs we were looking at potential challenges. They look as though they're cruising to the, the title in Argentina. They've done what's needed to be done in the group, even if it was a little unconvincing. Are we looking at two teams from Group D that could go all the way? I think there's definitely the potential. Um, clearly, as you said there, Fluminense dropped off, but I think that was very much a case of taking the foot off the gas, knowing that they'd done enough um, to get through the group. They weren't in any real danger of missing out and just you know, conserving energy a little bit um, in what's what is a long, long year for Brazilian clubs and, and lots of South American clubs as well. So um, I think they're still going to be right up there um, in terms of, um, yeah, in, in terms of some of the top favourites in, in this competition. With Cano up front, they've got one of the top scorers in the co- uh, competition. They've got experience with the likes of Marcelo. They've got youth um, in Andre and and some other fantastic young players there. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they've got a bit of everything. If they can hold on to some of their younger players during the window, I think, and maybe even strengthen um, with a, with an eye of really going for it, then then there's a lot to like about them. I think it it could go really well for them, or it could go really disastrously. <laughs> I think there's a bit of that about them. Um, they're maybe not as solid as a as a Palmeiras or a Flamengo. So. They're the one of the sides I'm most interested to see how they do. Um, and it's nice to have a, a newish name, even if it is another Brazilian club um, going going for the, the glory there. Um, but I, I think as well, almost, it, it felt as if with every, all the struggles that River were going through, all the attention in the group shifted to them and Fluminense were quite happy just to kind of ride out the rest of the group in in the background. And, and to be fair, even though... River were right against the ropes for a lot of it. They they came out swinging. They got the wins that they needed to. And you've got to say that, especially with the the solid domestic form as well, they are looking more of a unit now. You and I, th- I think it was like a big hurdle for Di Michelis to get over. If he'd crashed out of the group stage, his whole year, his whole you know potentially River uh, career as manager is defined by that really disastrous showing in the Libertadores and it almost would denigrate the league title somewhat being like, oh, you know, who cares that we won the league when when we did so bad in the Libertadores. The fact that he's got out of the group means that I think that league title, which they're inevitably going to win now, is going to be given the credit it deserves. And, you know, you've got players coming into form. Aliendro's looking good. Barco's looking good. You've got seasoned pros like, Fernandez and Perez, a defence that's pretty settled. You've got, okay, maybe not any world-class strikers in there, but you've got some a, a nice mixture of Beltran, Solari, Borja, even the slightly maligned Rondon, if he if he sticks around. Um, but yeah, I, I think like with all of these really historic big teams, it's all about just getting out of the group whichever way you can. And then especially, as you mentioned before, with the chance to bolster the squad later on, you're almost in a different competition. So yeah, I think as much as it looked nervy, I also never was that worried that they weren't going to get out of it. Um, you know, fair play to Cristal. They they had a really good campaign, but at the same time, you know, eight points, finishing third, bit unlucky they, they might see themselves as but you almost you can't be giving yourself too much of a pat on the back when you're coming third and not getting out of the group stage so um the best of the peruvians but still yeah not not too much to celebrate for peruvian football as well although they'll you know it'll be interesting to see them in the sudamericana 
yeah, we'll come on to that in, in a while. Um, River Plate, as you said, will probably be looking to strengthen one of those areas, presumably will be at the back. It conceded 11 goals during the, uh, the Libertadores group phase. Don't think any side through to the last 16 conceded more than River. Um, by all accounts, Funes Mori on his way back to River. We've seen them bring back a number of former players with mixed success, but certainly River will be hoping that he can add just a little bit of a sturdiness to that back line for the, the crunch games in the second half of the year. Um, that brings us on then to Group E, which was one of the interesting groups when we saw the, the draw. We always knew it was going to cost one of the, the bigger names in the competition a place in the last 16. And it, it proved to be just that. We ended up seeing Corinthians go out of the Libertadores, the only Brazilian side to go out at this stage of the tournament, which is, uh, is always a surprise given the, the finances that the Brazilian clubs have. But they ended up behind... Independiente del Valle, who went through as the winners, and Argentinos Juniors, uh, who took second. And Simon, we're now getting pretty used to seeing Independiente del Valle surprise the, the big boys in, in uh, South America. It no longer really is a surprise given their success in recent years. But there they are again, and going through as group winners, once again, they'll be one of those teams that very few teams will want to face. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's 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 really impressive what they what they do, and the fact that they won this game three two in the final final group game with a sixteen year old, albeit a sixteen year old wonder kid in uh, base, uh, it just shows what they're about in terms of, you know, they've got they've got this sixteen year old wonder kid coming through from the academy, which is which is what they do really well. But then they've also got like Diaz, an Argentine who wasn't a big big name, but has been a good fit and has come in and done really well for them. So it, it's a combination of smart recruitment, a clear identity, and bringing through uh, top young young players. So again, as we've mentioned before, it's really a model for South American football. So uh, great to see them continuing to succeed and hopefully inspire other clubs to pick up some of the things that they've been doing and, and implement those. And then obviously Argentinos Junior, again, impressive, you know, to see them go through, obviously disappointed to lose the final game, but a, a good, solid, well-balanced side. Avalos is having a pretty good goal-scoring season, uh, the, the number nine. Um, so yeah, so two teams who... I've, I've, I've done well, uh, coming fairly comfortably ahead of a giant in Corinthians who have plenty of money and, and lots of support. It's really impressive for these two sides. Uh, IDV, because they're a small team that overachieves. And Argentina Junior, again, this is, is they haven't been at this level for a long time in the Libertadores to get out of the group is, is really impressive. So, yeah, a good a good performance from those two teams. Um, I don't think they're top, top, but in the knockout rounds, you know, the the... The ingenuity of IDV can can definitely upset some teams, and Argentinos Juniors have shown that they're solid and, and effective and efficient. So they're also probably not going to be favourites, but they're potentially going to be able to upset some sides uh, in the knockout rounds as well. Yeah, absolutely. Probably more so, as, as you said there, Simon Independiente de Valle. But Argentinos Juniors, certainly under Gabi Melito, have proven to be one of the better organised teams with a very clear identity in Argentina, which is something a lot of teams in Argentina actually lack. Um, but Melito's proving himself to be a very astute coach um, and at home, particularly on that tight pitch at the uh, Estadio Diego Armando Maradona, I think they could be a threat for a lot of teams in the tournament. Whether they can get the necessary result away from home, we shall see. But a good year for the Argentine clubs who did make it through to the group stage will get onto the one that didn't make it through, which I think we always expected to be the case. But for Argentinos juniors to be there when we looked at that group and thought they, they might just fall short is, is a great boost. In the next group, of course, we got another Argentine side going through as group winners, very comfortably so, one which we expected despite their troubles domestically. Uh, but Tom, we ended up with Boca going through and one of the surprises of this year's tournament, Deportivo Pereira of Colombia following them through as second on their debut in the tournament. Yeah, amazing from Pereira to, to, to get through, albeit, you know, the group was definitely there for them to to get that second place. And Colo Colo once again confirmed Chilean misery in this tournament with um, a very lacklustre display um, generally across the whole group stage. But again, a group that in terms of the the winner panned out as we'd expected. Um, Boca might not necessarily be free-flowing and they're not the finished article by, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know they topped it with with pr- relative ease. Um, you know, not perfect by any by stretch of the ma- imagination, but I think one of the best 
if not the best defensive record in the group stage with just two conceded. Um, looking solid generally, but maybe lacking goals. It'll be interesting to see what they do um, in terms of potentially bringing um, some more firepower up front. But, you know, there's there's some good youth coming through. Barco, um, you know, getting on the score sheet in that final 4-0 win against Monagas on his right foot as well, which is a, which is just another string to his uh, bow. And it'll be interesting to see if they kind of double him and Fabra up um, on a more regular basis on that left-hand flank. Um, so that'll be that'll be interesting. And then you've got Varela, Medina getting a bit more game time lately as well. Um even Vasquez with a timely reminder that, that he can occasionally pop in with a couple of goals. So, um, yeah, I think Boca, they're a little way off the the very, very top teams in this competition, but they've got the Mystica, they've got the name, they've got the potential to reinforce. Um, so, yeah, um, it, very, you know, job done for them, basically. And as for Pereira, I'll, I'll let Simon sort of uh, tell us a bit more about them and, and you know what the feeling is there in Colombia but um, yeah I think that that tie against Colo Colo almost a winner takes all situation um, maybe not the the spectacle that we we, we hoped for with a, with a nil all draw but given that they're both sides who are averaging less than a goal a game probably not too surprising that it, that it ended that way but yeah Simon what are, what are, what are your thoughts on Pereira? Yeah, I mean, they haven't had a great season in the league, to be honest. Yeah, they were obviously league champions last year. Um, and I think, obviously, the distractions of the Libertadores have, have meant that that's been the focus. And understandably, it's the first time playing in this level in their history. It's a historically important club in Colombia, but it's not a top, top club. You know, they've got they've got history, but they're not they're not giants. So, yeah, I think it, it, it was a fitting end to their, to their campaign. Obviously, they just about got over the line, but there have been a few of those games. Obviously, the one against Boca... Uh, in Pereira as well was a, was a similar tight affair. So good to see them go over the line. I, I like the system. Uh, I think it's well suited for this competition, given what they have, kind of with a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2. Um, mostly a 5-3-2 in the last game, to be honest. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're organised. They, they make the most of what they have. There's no real massive standouts um, in, the, in that side. One or two players have done a bit here and there, but... You know, none of these players are getting in many of the teams that are going through to the knockout round. So they've done very well. If they can show this fighting spirit, maybe they'll get another shock along the way. But uh, just to get into the knockout rounds is a big achievement for, for Bereda, uh, given that this is their first time at this level. And, uh, and not a, te- a team that's played in the second division as much as the first division in Colombia in the last 10 years as well. Yeah, certainly when you look at that last 16 lineup, they are the name that, that really sits out from the others in terms of the unknown quality a lot of the other teams, even if they're not from Argentina and Brazil, we've seen them historically go far in the Libertadores. Um, Group G, Simon, two Brazilians going through in the end. Um, Atletico Paranaense is group winners. Atletico Minero, again, after a somewhat patchy start to the competition, ended up doing enough. And in Paulinho, you'll have the, the leading goal scorer in this year's competition so far. Yeah, yeah, an interesting one. Um, uh, yeah, I think... Two solid Brazilian teams. Uh, Vita Roque, uh, obviously, attack for Paranense is, is very, very interesting. He got two goals as well in the final final day, so he's one to definitely watch out for. Uh, so they're an interesting. Canovia as well is also playing really well there in, in Brazil now. Uh, with Minero, obviously, Hulk in attack um, continues to be an effective player at this level. Um, and then there's Christian Baron, and then Paulinho, obviously, as you mentioned, scoring all the goals. So it's... Uh, it's a it's a familiar um, number of names there in in the Minero side. Um, we'll see what happens. I th- uh, potentially things fall into place. There's good quality in that team, but it's not one for me that that is particularly contenders or particularly exciting. I mean, maybe Hulk, some Hulk heroics could could help carry them a little bit as well. But they're they're, they're solid. Um, both these teams, I think. Um, I think uh, Paranaense for me look the stronger or have the highest ceiling, I'd say. But Minero have good quality throughout. And obviously, if they come up against a smaller side, they'll feel very confident of winning. But I don't see them quite as contenders either of those teams. But I don't know if anyone has any more positive view of these two. I think it's probably fair to say that you would put them in that bracket below those teams that we've already highlighted as being potential winners. I think you mentioned there Vitor Roque as one of the, the stars or the young stars of South American football. It will be very interesting to see 
what may happen with his future over the next month or so, because I think there'll be a lot of keen interest in him. Um, and, and clearly, when we see what he's been able to do at the Libertadores at his age, you can see why. Um, the final group, Tom, then just to complete that last 16 lineup, um, we ended up seeing Olympia and Atletico Nacional go through from what we said at the halfway point was was probably one of the, the weaker groups, Patronato and Melgar, the two teams that ended up going out. But it's a great opportunity for Olympia and Atletico Nacional and they, they absolutely took it. Yeah, for sure. And I think we've got to give uh, Olympia some real credit because even if it was a slightly weaker group, um, they they really smashed it. I think the second highest points total in the, in the group stage there. Um, they've not been doing as well in the league, but they've been smashing it in the Libertadores and um, players like Paiva, Cardoso have been doing well. Alejandro Silva is at the heart of everything good they do as well. Um, they've got a good manager in Diego Aguirre. Um and, you know, they might, if we're looking at clubs that could potentially surprise the Argentinian Brazilian dominance, you know, Olympia might be one of those teams, along with Independiente del Valle, um, who could perhaps be the one that gets to a quarterfinal or sneaks to a semifinal or something like that. So I think what would be really key for them as well is if they can keep Diego Torres um, in the in the transfer window as well. Um or Diego Gomez, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's a he's a quality player, um, and and yeah, I think Olympia. We should give them some credit for for a really good um, campaign so far. Uh, as Fed Letigo Nacional again, another one of these teams who I think took the the foot off the gas a little bit there, and um, with two defeats in the last two games. I don't know if that's something to worry about necessarily. Um, Paon's been on fire. They've got some good young players coming through. Um, but yeah, I think it's good to see there's some more Colombian representation in, in the knockout stages, but I don't see them going being as much of a potential threat as, as Olympia in, in, in the next round. But maybe Simon will disagree with me there. No, I think I think um, particularly this most recent game was very disappointing, but uh, Nacional just lost the final of the Colombian League. Um, and I think it's, 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 it's amazing how quickly suddenly, you know, everything that's great and you're in crisis mode because you will lose one game and now suddenly the manager's terrible and the fans have given up, you know. So I think the low attendance for this final game with qualification always already secured was reflective of suddenly that immediate crisis of winning one game in the, in the final on penalties. Um, but overall, I think, you know, it's great to see National get through to the knockout rounds, champions in 2016. They're nowhere near that level, but... As you say, Pavon is on form. They've got some good players. Um, I think I'm sure the fans in a month's time will have forgotten the drama of the last couple of weeks and uh, will be feeling positive again. Um, but yeah, again, I don't see them as contenders, but uh, but great to be here and have two Colombian teams. It's nice. It's a nice change uh, in the re- compared to recent years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we often in previous years been talking very much about the disappointment of Colombian football and this year that having two teams in the last 16 also representation in the Sudamericana of course we now have a bit more of a, a crossover between the two tournaments we didn't really talk a great deal there about the teams that finished third in the Libertadores groups but this year those teams that finished third going to play a, live, a, a playoff game against the teams that finished second in the, the Sudamericana um, so Tom we'll go through the, those Sudamericana groups because we can now talk about the winners going through to the last 16 and we already have the ties for the playoff games because it was arranged with the highest points total for the runners-up in the Sudamericana, taking on the teams with the lowest points from the, the Libertadores third-place teams. Um, so we can begin with the Sudamericana Group A, where Liga de Quito went through as the group winners. So they're in the last 16 already. Botafogo of Brazil going as the runners-up. So they do have that tie to come uh, against Patronato, of Argentina for the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought it was interesting to see Quito top that group there against a Botafogo side that is uh, top of the Brasileirao at the moment. So we talk a lot about how the good work that IDV are doing at youth level in Ecuador, but LDU have got a really good batch coming through as well. And, you know, they, they are an impressive side and, and one that can can do stuff um, going forward. Botafogo, though, going to be pretty happy that they've drawn Patronato in the next round. So I think there's going to be no troubles there. And, and Botafogo definitely should be one of the sides 
looking at this tournament and um, and fancying themselves at a run. Perhaps the only thing that might come into consideration is if they think, wait, we can actually win the Brazilian league here. Let's put all our eggs in that basket and maybe not concentrate on the Sudamericana so much. But, you know, if they're getting a kind draw, if they're seeing how things go, then they can kind of take it a game at a time now. So, yeah, uh, you know, the two sides that you'd expect to go through that group um, and certainly two sides that could could both do something in this tournament. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, probably one of the easier playoff games to probably call. Now, obviously, that'll probably uh, see a, a surprise Patronato win, but on paper, at least, <laughs> you look at a team going well in the Brazilian league against a side outside the top flight in Argentina, and you'd think that's pretty nailed on. Um, in Group B, Simon, in the Sudamericana, uh, we saw uh, we saw Guarani go through as the group winners, Emelec as the, the runners-up in that group. So Emelec going on to play Sporting Cristal, who Tom had just mentioned, finishing third in their Libertadores group. Yeah, yeah. Um, so great, great to see Guarani go through and, and do very well. Quite an even group in terms of teams with Danubio and uh, Huracan in there as well. Uh, but yeah, great, great for Guarani. And Cristal against Emelec, I think will be a real interesting one. Obviously, Cristal, very, very competitive in the Libertadores group, a strong group. Emelec, a team in Ecuador, a big team, lots of support, you know, good, good, you know, dangerous wide players. Uh, very, very effective on the counter. So I think that should be a really interesting game um, to kind of see uh, where Cristal are because, again, as I said, they did very well in the group, but for me, that's quite an even one. I think that'd be quite an interesting game to see uh, Emelec against Cristal in the in the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, group C, uh, Tom, was one of the clearest because we had two outstanding teams from that from basically day one, going through almost with perfect records. Red Bull, Bragantino going through as the group winners, by virtue of scoring more goals or by their goal difference over Estudiantes of Argentina, the two teams winning their games against Aquari and Oriente Petrello with ease, the two times they faced off against each other drawing, but certainly on that final day, Red Bull putting seven past to Aquari, Estudiantes scoring four against Oriente Petrello, kind of sealed the group. It's the Brazilians going through as the, the winners and Estudiantes with a very intriguing game in the playoffs against Barcelona of Ecuador. Yeah, and no, I think this is, again, one of the easier ones to call. And, and Bragantino looked really, really strong. Um, I think 21 goals, obviously helped by those seven goals at the end, but still really phenomenal records um, in the group stage there. And they've got some lots of good players, um, as we've become accustomed to. Uh, Eduardo Sasha obviously doing well. I'm a huge fan of Thiago Borbas as well, the young Uruguayan, who I think we'll see more and more of as the, as the years go on. Um but Estudiantes, you've got to give them credit as well. They don't have the resources of, uh, of Bragantino. Conceded just one goal, which was extremely impressive as well. And obviously the foundations of what they're built on. Um, and I, I really fancy Estudiantes against Barcelona. Um, on paper, it's a pretty even clash. But uh, Barcelona really, I thought, were quite disappointing in the Libertadores. And it's a really good chance for Estudiantes to, to get through. And, and again, just like Botafogo, you're looking at um, the Brazilians... Uh, Bragantino is being one of the favourites for this competition. So, two two strong teams coming out of uh, coming out of the Sudamericana and showing showing the quality that there is at this level. Yeah, the competition certainly going from strength to strength. The Sudamericana, as we see from the winners in recent years, subsequent years, then going on to be strong in the Libertadores as well. And I think we see that again from this field. And as you say, I think Estudiantes will fancy their chance against the Barcelona side who were very close to going out. Turnaround on the final day in the Libertadores group to get a draw against Cerro Porteño proved to be enough to get that third place spot. So despite them being the Libertadores side, I think you're right that the Estudiantes will be the favourites. Um, group D, Simon, we saw the two rivals, or certainly reigniting their rivalry from the 2012 Sudamericana, both go through. The Brazilian Sao Paulo cruising through as the winners of the group without conceding a goal, um, but followed by the Argentine side Tigre at the expense of a Colombian team in Tolima. Um, Tigre now having to face off against Libertad of Paraguay in the playoffs to try and get one of those last 16 spots in the Sudamericana. Yeah, very impressive from Sao Paulo. Um, five wins, one draw. Uh, you know, a good, a good, good display. Averaging just over two goals per game. <laughs> I don't think they conceded at all. It's, it's pretty incredible. 
performance from Sao Paulo, very, very dominant. Again, one of those teams that you'd expect to be contenders for this title. And then Tigre, that's going to be a really interesting one because, you know, that for me feels like a proper battle. Tigre against uh, against Libertad over two legs. I think uh, that should be a really uh, competitive one. Tolima obviously came close. It was that one defeat to Tigre which was the difference, 2-1 win for Tigre, and, and that's got them through with Puerto Cabello finishing on zero points as well. So disappointing from the Venezuelans this year. Um, but yeah, very good from Sao Paulo, and that Libertad-Tigre game feels like a, a proper battle that, that we have coming up. Yeah, I think the, the difficulty for Tigre is what sort of Tigre side are we going to see, even from the group stage? I mean, Mateo Retegui, who's been influential, all of their goals really over the last year or so, and now a full international for Italy, looks certain to be on his way out during this window. They've already lost Facundo Colidio as well, whose loan expired going back to Inter and, and now looks set to be sold to Mexican football. So think on a very limited budget that Tigre are going to actually be a much weaker side than they have been during the group stage for the knockout phase. Um, and are now, of course, changing managers as well with Diego Martinez leaving. So it'll be interesting to see just where they are, but certainly plays into the hands of, uh, of Libertad for that knockout stage game in just a, a 10 days or so. Um, the next group, Tom, Group E, um, was one which was was wrapped up again pretty early on in terms of the group winners. Newell's old boys lost their 100% record on the final day with a draw against the team that ended up going through in second. Audax Italiano of Chile. Santos deeply disappointing. The Brazilians ending third in that group. Aldax Italiano instead take that second place spot and their playoff game is going to come up against Nublense, the fellow Chilean side who finished third in their group in the Libertadores. Yeah, no, a really good performance from Newell's, not one that I was um, particularly expecting, um, but you know they've they've got a decent squad there, and and hopefully this is something that they build on. Obviously, I mean they've been drawing quite a bit lately, and they need some more goals. I think that's the the key thing that they've really got to look at. Um, but you know. There's there's definitely a, a chance if they get a favourable draw that they could they could go a bit further in this competition that that great home support as well um, and obviously Santos huge shock another of the Brazilians that we, we would have expected to have done a little bit better um, but fair play to Aldax, Aldax and and that all Chilean clash is one that I'm really looking forward to and, and one that's going to be um, difficult to call I think um, it's always always interesting when you've got two sides from the same. Uh, domestic league facing off in in continental competition and um, yeah that's that's one that I don't I don't fancy calling it could, it could go either way yeah a tight one to call um, Simon Group F the Colombian champions Missionarios uh, missed out from that group um, very unfortunate to do so losing on on goal difference behind America Minero who took second and it was. Now uh, a, a regular, it seems, in the Sudamericana, Defensa y Justicia of Argentina, who took the top spot, America Minero, rather than Missionarios going through into the playoffs, and they're going to play Colo Colo of Chile. Yeah, yeah. It looked like a very competitive group, and it was, apart from Peñarol, doing absolutely yeah. nothing, finishing with minus 14 goal difference and zero points, which I don't think... Um, even if it's not the strongest Benuel side, that was a particularly uh, shocking performance from them. Um, yeah, disappointing for Medellin is to come close and, and miss out, particularly given that uh, America uh, are second bottom in the Brazilian league, Medellin's current champions of Colombia. Uh, it does show the, the depth that Brazil has nowadays. Um, but it definitely felt like it was an opportunity for Medellin to sneak through. They've, they've got a pretty solid side. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. And then America going on to place uh, Colo Colo, I believe, which... Um, will be an interesting one as well. Obviously, Colo Colo narrowly missing out, not in the best form um, domestically, kind of sick, which is not great for them. So, yeah, two sides who who will hope the Sudamericana kind of kind of lifts their season a little bit. Although, America, it would be interesting to see because they're in relegation trouble as well, whether this becomes a, a focus or a bit of a distraction, but one, one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I'll stay with you, Simon, for Group G because it was another Colombian side just missing out there, Independiente Santa Fe finishing third in the group. Um, after a final day defeat at home against the group winners, the Brazilian side Goas, who, who went through with 12 points. Universitario of Chile taking the second spot, three points ahead of Independiente uh, Santa Fe. And Universitario will be playing Corinthians um, of Brazil in their playoff. Yeah, again, more more Colombian disappointment. I, you know, I've, I've had some, I've, I've enjoyed some success, so we'll have some disappointment. <laughs> again, yeah, it felt like the group that's. <laughs> Yeah, it felt like a group Santa Fe could have could have snuck through. Um, again, 
pretty pretty competitive. Disappointing for Gimnasia to to be a little bit adrift at the bottom. Uh, Guayas, a, a good solid team, a good solid Brazilian team. Not a top top team, but a, a good mid table Brazilian team generally, and and that seems to be enough these days to get you through the, the Sudamericano, the Libertadores. Um, so good for the Brazilians. Uh, Universitario will be very happy, but it's going to be a, a, a challenge in the next round going up against Corinthians. Um, we'll see what happens. But obviously Corinthians not at their best. They've been they've been quite limited in the Libertadores, but you would still expect them to be favourites against Universitario. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Corinthians surely have to try and use the disappointment from the Libertadores to, to, to look at this competition as, as a real potential target for them given the, the strength they have available against much of the opposition and that will start certainly against Universitario side um, the final group Tom saw some real late drama not at the top of the table where Fortaleza were going through as group winners and we already knew that in terms of uh, the runners up spot that eventually was taken by San Lorenzo with a, a dramatic 4-1 win at home against the Estudiantes de Merida um, the Argentinian side nicking that place in the playoff and they're going to be going up against Independiente de Medellin um, in their playoff game. Yeah, quite an amazing bit of drama there at the end, um, needing to win by the three goals and and for Palestino to lose to, to get, their hair, get their own goal difference. Um, and I think not so much a surprise that they, they finished second here, but just the manner in which they had to turn on and, and get all the goals because typically they've been a very solid side, love a clean sheet. They've been going well in the Argentinian league, although dropped off a bit lately. Um, but yeah, the fact that they had to sort of switch it up, go a bit more gung-ho to get those goals, um, yeah, made for a really, really exciting final day in which a lot of groups were kind of already fairly sewn up. So yeah, San Lorenzo bringing the drama and, and now they've got a, a very tasty clash against Medellin, which again, I think is one of the standout ties in the, in that knockout, knockout playoff round because yeah, I wouldn't like to call that one either. So yeah, that's, that's one that I'm sitting firmly on the fence for. Yeah. I mean, San Lorenzo, out of the title race really in Argentina because River looked to have it sewn up but have been going well domestically and a lot of that is based on an outstanding home record at the weekend breaking an Argentinian record in terms of not conceding goals at home 1,300 odd minutes or whatever it is a record that went all the way back to 1918 so just goes to show how difficult San Lorenzo have been to score against at home and that will make it difficult for the Colombians coming away to battle Flores in what is now just around the corner. The draw for both of those competitions uh, later this week, those playoff games that we've just been outlying to determine which of those teams will go through from the playoffs into the last 16 of the Sudamericana the week after, but they will already know who they'll be facing in the last 16 before those games. So plenty of football um, coming up and plenty of football going on at the moment with the U20 uh, Libertadores. Uh, those teams currently in Chile, the different format, of course, to the U20 tournament sees 12 teams all playing uh, a much shorter, condensed version of a tournament, um, which is already underway, started at the weekend. Um, and Tom, we, last time we were talking about the U20 World Cup, um, and you can see a lot of the, the tie in from that tournament with both Uruguayan and uh, Ecuadorian representatives at this tournament with a lot of the players from either of those clubs being with both Peñarol and Independiente del Valle. Yeah, no, I mean, they were the two finalists in last year's under-20 Libertadores with uh, Peñarol winning on penalties. Um, so they're going to obviously hope for a better performance than their Sudamericana. And they look like they're going to be two of the teams to beat again. Um, Peñarol getting um, a, a very solid opening day victory um, in their first game and Independiente del Valle getting off with a win as well. So um, there's a lot of players who played in both competitions. Um, in the Peñarol side, you've got Diritis, Randall Rodriguez and Hominchenko who were under-20 champions with Uruguay and they were also part of the sides that won the under Twenty last year. You've also got Santiago Diaz and Nahuel de Amas who both were on the score sheet and you know were part of that ch uh, champions winning winning team last year so they're, they're going to be really good and they look like the the standout team in in group a group b um a little bit trickier with envigado i'm sure simon were to give us some uh, insight in there um but yeah a lot of those players who were 
under 20 Libertadores finalists last year. You've also got guys who were at the under 20 World Cup with Ecuador. Uh, Cuero up front, who's a striker I really like. Very good back to back to goal and sort of turn and shot type striker. Uh, Klinger as well, who had a, who scored a lovely goal for Independiente de Loage the other night and was impressive, more impressive at the under 20 World Cup than he was at the Sudamericano. And also Kendry Pais, who's definitely looking like the real deal. Um, you've also got Medina, Mercado, Mina, Herrera, all guys who played for the Sudamericano. Um, and yeah, some other always good talents with Independiente del Valle as we've been mentioning um, as well. So they're, they're looking good um, at the time of recording. Um, no one in group C's played yet, but that's looking like a really tasty group in the t- um, in with Boca, Defensor Sporting, who've got a great youth, um, youth record. And again, provided a, a good few players for that Uruguay under 20 winning side. Um, Matura being um, the, the key one who, who was one of the absolute revelations of the tournament. But also Anderson Duarte, who scored a fair few goals. Matias Abaldo and um, also Andres Ferrari all came through at defence or so they're going to be good. And you've also got uh, Palmeiras in there. Who knows whether we'll see Endrick or not, but Palmeiras are, you know, great at youth level as well. So really, really hard to predict that group. Um, and also you've got Huachipato, you know, home soil as it were. So that's going to be a really, really interesting one. Um, in terms of the odds for those games, Palmeiras are heavy favourites to beat Huachipato 1.121 to win that tonight um, potentially match will have been played by the time this comes out but um, yeah we I think we everyone expects a Palmeiras win there um, whereas Boca Juniors are favourites to beat Defensor 1.675 to win with Defensor being 4.5 that's one that I think there could be a bit of value in because as much as Boca Juniors are rightly favourites Defensor are going to be no mugs and could definitely spring a surprise there so that, that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. And and then looking ahead to the next fixture in Group A, Peñarol, heavy favourites to beat Alianza Lima, 1.176. Whereas it's a bit tighter for um, Caracas and O'Higgins, the Chileans O'Higgins, 1.917 to win with Caracas 3.55. So yeah, lots to play for and it's going going to be a really interesting competition. Simon, do you... What do you think about Envergado? I, I see they've got a player called Felipe Russell. So that's what that's what jumped out for me. Ooh, okay, nice. Um, yeah, no, Envergado, they, they've got a good team. They've got a good team. Quite a few players who've got regular minutes in the Colombian top flight. Espana, who scored the goal in the opening game, uh, a 1-0 win uh, in, the, in their opener. He's played a lot on the wing. They've got a tricky, quick, inventive, unpredictable winger called Luis Diaz. I don't know if that sounds... Familiar, but um, <laughs> he's a, he's an interesting player. A little bit rough around the edges, um, probably a bit more composure in the key moments. But uh, yeah, <laughs> as his name would suggest, he's very very good one v one dribbler and a very unpredictable player. Kind of the style of this team, as you'd imagine, for Envigado, the team that produced Hames and Quintero and so many great number tens. Gio Moreno, what a what a guy that guy is. A mix between Peter Crouch and Raquelme. If you can imagine such a thing. Um, well, Hurtado is nothing like that, but he is a number 10 and he is from Envigado and he's really, really, really good in the ball. He's played a lot uh, for, for the first team. And for me, one of the stand-up players is the, the centre-back, Banguera. Um, 192, big, tall defender, played regularly in the first team. Good pace, good on the ball. Um, for me, he's one that looks really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, plenty of players to watch out for Envigado. There's not like a, a hammers in there, but there's a lot of... Seven, eight out of tens who could potentially knock on and do something really good. So I think that's a good, solid, balanced Envigado side with a few players who have uh, played 18, 19 games in the league this year already. So Espana, obviously one of those. DS has played a lot as well. Hurtado has been important. So players with good first team experience and we'll see what they can do. Uh, a, a narrow win in the opening day. They probably would have liked it a bit more, a bit more comfortable, but, but three points and, and we'll see where that takes them. Yeah, I mean, it's a good opportunity for Envigado when you look at the format, the the tournament as well. I mean, they're, they're put into those three groups. The three group winners go through, as Tom, I think, rightly said there, you look at Group A, you'd be astonished if it's not Peñarol. You look at Group B, and it's likely to be Independiente del Valle who have taken a really strong squad that Tom outlined there with, with so many players that are really tipped to go on and do big things. Group C, being the, the tight group, could actually end up playing into the favour of Groups A and B in some regards because there's only one place that goes through as runners-up. So Endegada with those three points on the board already, 
you'd imagine with just another win, they'll put themselves right in the mix to be the, the best runner-up from those three groups, potentially going through to make up the fourth place in those semi-finals. So a great opportunity. Group C, is, as Tom said there, looks, looks pretty fascinating. It starts later on today as we record, um, and it will be very interesting to see which probably out putting Wachipata to one side most likely, but which of the other one of those three teams comes out on top to go through to the semi-finals. Fascinating tournament that will be going on for the next couple of weeks. Um, and finally, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with some transfer talk because there has been, of course, one pretty significant transfer uh, concerning South American footballers and the biggest South American footballer, Lionel Messi, finally revealing where he will be playing his football. It's not going to be still with PSG. It's not going to be a return to Barcelona. Instead, he's going to become the face of Major League Soccer. And Tom, it's probably actually not that much of a surprise when you consider what the actually available options were. The PSG door looked well and truly shut with the relation with the supporters. Barcelona's financial mess made it impossible, even if that's where he wanted to go not really too strong a desire to go and explore other European options and in truth quite a difficult move to manufacture to other European clubs really leaving the big money from Saudi Arabia which is one of the big targets or the main stories from this transfer window and the Inter move um, which of course has been there for a while Miami have been courting Messi for quite some time so he's got that move and it will be now very interesting to see how it all plays out yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely feels like a bit of a changing of the guard in, in Europe with a lot of the guys who've dominated football for the last decade or two moving on to different pastures and, and Messi being, you know, the at the forefront of that. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting that he's not just followed the money, albeit I'm sure there's plenty of money on the table in, in Miami as well. But um, he's, you know, not just joined the kind of Saudi revolution that's kind of happening. Um, and I think it's, and probably just from a purely selfish point of view, it's a league that's probably got a bit more visibility that I'm more likely to be tuning into. And, you know, these these players have, have got to wind down their career and he's still got plenty more to give as he showed at the World Cup. But realistically, at the very, very top level of European football, you have to be building an entire squad around him to to sort of make up for the, um, you know, the, the lack of running that he's likely to do. And, and to be honest, I'd, I don't think there's many, you know, top, top teams that are unnecessarily willing to do that. Barcelona would have been a great um, sort of return and, and a nice way to say goodbye to the fans properly. And But clearly, you know, with the statement that Laporta and the club put out, it was, you know, just shows how unserious they, they were trying to put the blame on, on Messi more than anything when clearly it was them who, who didn't have the means to, to, to put together a package that was going to be amenable. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all works. Um, a shame that Phil Neville's not involved in, in the messy story, but um, I think, you know, it all points to kind of um, f- focus sort of moving towards that part of the world for, for the upcoming World Cup and... Um, and who knows if he keeps himself in in good nick, then there might be kind of a, a player coach role for the for the Argentina national team to to come on and uh, you know jog around for fifteen minutes at the, at the next World Cup, which um, I'd, I'd be all for. Yeah, well, no Phil Neville, Tata Martino uh, reunited with Messi in Miami, and the pair of them have got quite a job on their hands into Miami. Arguably the weakest team in the entire league, um, so Messi coming in at this stage of the season with his debut to come later on this month, hoping that he can turn around the fortunes. I mean, I think for the sake of the league as well, who have given every incentive to bring Messi in, it's absolutely crucial that he makes Inter Miami, at the very least, a playoff team. Otherwise, it's a bit of a a marketing disaster if they have Messi and he doesn't even play for the for the business end of the season. So a lot to do there. Um, Simon, the other the big South American transfer so far, I suppose, during the window already, um, Alexis McAllister making his move from Brighton to Liverpool for what ended up being a bit of a, a bargain fee. 
Yeah, I think we're like thirty-five million pounds. You know, for established World Cup winner in the Premier League at a good age, it does feel feel like a good good deal for Liverpool. Uh, it'd be interesting to see kind of how they balance that midfield. I think they're still bringing the pieces together. But Alexis McAllister, I think, is a very complete player. He, he offers defensive work. He can progress the ball. I think there's a lot of things you can do with him. He doesn't necessarily have one defining characteristic. So it'd be interesting to see which way they go, which what what they see him doing. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, a Brighton sale and they also brought in Jao Pedro Brighton for what, 30 million which is going to be a really interesting one because he's definitely showing in moments at Watford he's a, he's a really interesting player and, and if Brighton think he's good then he's probably good if we go by history so it'll be interesting to see what he does because he's obviously a very very explosive player who's now had a couple of years in England settling in so one to watch also one I think which is quite interesting is is Jose Cifuentes to Rangers which seems to be on the cards um, another Ecuadorian mention Ecuadorians do you know Messi's captain at Miami is going to be uh, Campania he was captain the last game good old Campania remember him from the <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Campania won't have to give up that captain's armband to Messi they'll, they'll, they'll trust him but, uh, but yeah Jose Cifuentes to Rangers is an interesting one because we've seen him for years and years um, for, for Ecuador again another one of these Ecuadorian products who's like he's got the physicality of a uh, Patrick Vieira, but he's been playing as a number ten. So again, it's one of those players who has many facets to his game. You know, he's a he's a strong player, he's a tough player, he's a good ball winner, but he's also got a bit of creativity of a of a ten and a good ball progressor. So I think he could be a really smart signing for Rangers. And I think as well, just just before handing over again, I think it's interesting to watch because I've had some indications that the 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 visa process for non-Europeans, is being relaxed even further. Um, and while there's not an official announcement on the new point system or whatever, clubs I've been speaking to in, in England feel that most players, they can get a work permit or a visa for now, uh, which is a bit of a shift and is really going to open things up. And we'll see what what that means. But, you know, if, if a League One team can sign a Copa Libertadores player, then anything is possible, you know what I mean? So we'll have to see what happens. But... There is the, the big financial disparity between the, the smaller teams in South America, the smaller leagues in South America, and the Championship and League One and the Scottish Premier Division is going to lead to some interesting opportunities. Now, we'll see who jumps on that and who doesn't, but I definitely feel at the moment, the way things are going, that there is the potential for clubs in the UK to sign players who they would never have access to before just because of the quite strict work permit uh, restrictions. So we'll see what that means, but it, it is an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think those changes, even as they've been announced already, um, would suggest that that will change the, the market to some extent. And teams are going to be much more active in, in South America, knowing that they're able to bring players in who they wouldn't have been able to before. Um, anyone else that is either been on the move or you're looking forward to potentially seeing on the move, Tom? Yeah, there's a couple of defenders who've, who've made moves who I think uh, yeah, maybe a bit low key, but I think are really good, um, really good signings. William Pacho to Frankfurt, I think is is a great signing. Um, just yet another talented young Ecuadorian, um, really really good uh, centre back. Um, had a really good season with with Antwerp in um, in Belgium, um, and yeah, Frankfurt spent you know decent chunk of money on him to, to bring him across and I think that's that's a great move for him and for the club um, and you've also got an, um, Santiago Mourinho no relation to, to Jose um, he's a Uruguayan centre-back who's who Atletico Madrid have picked up from um, from Racing de Montevideo um, only just promoted the last season but even after a few games you could see he was a different gravy and he's dominated all kinds of stats um, in, in the league this uh, in the first half of the year. I think someone who previously came through the Nacional Academy um, before dropping down and, and then coming back up. But he's someone who maybe we'll not see loads of, but he could be like a, a Ronald Araujo or Atletico Madrid, hoping that he'll be the next uh, Jimenez. So he, he's one just to put a little pin next to his name and, and, and keep an eye on. But other than that, it's a case of, you know, maybe the transfer is still to come. Are we going to see Vitor Roque go somewhere? Are we going to see Endrick snapped up an, an option on him being exercised? Uh, where's Thiago Almada going to go? Because surely he feels ready for a European move. Um, you know, tons of players that we're, we're looking at and could quite easily in a, in a month or two's time be in, in a new scenario. So yeah, that's that's one thing that will certainly have a lot of people 
interested over the summer in, in South American football. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel as though next month when we're discussing South American football come August, that will probably be the focus on, on what has been going on in the transfer market. Obviously, we'll have the uh, the Libertadores to the Medicana coming back underway with the, with the, the group, with the knockout phases. But I think we'll have seen a lot of significant moves both into the continent and out in around Europe. So something for us to keep an eye on. Um, well, we've just crept over an hour, so we'll try and wrap it up there. Tried to get through as much as possible. Um, but as ever, uh, massive thanks, Simon, for your input. No, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. I'm just going to throw a name out there and see if anything happens, right? Just just a little put it into the universe. Dorni Romero, right? A, a, a Dominican Republic <laughs> striker playing in Bolivia. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what happens. Let's see what, come back to come back to me in a month's time. We'll see what happens. But yeah, no, it was great to talk about football here. Um, we'll see what happens in the next couple of months. And uh, yeah, always good to discuss. Oh, yeah, you, you heard it here first. Um, and, and thank you to you as well, Tom. Absolutely shameless from Simon. <laughs> there. Um, I've, I've not got any Dominicans to, to to try and manifest a move, but let's let's try and get Fabrizio Diaz a move to Aston Villa while we're at it. Then <laughs> there we go. There's a couple to uh, to keep an eye on over the next month or so. Um, we'll be back then to to see if any of those came to fruition and a lot more. Um, you can find all the latest odds and the betting insight on Pinnacle.com plus and plenty of other content on the Twitter at Pinnacle and the Instagram Pinnacle.betting and other sports there as well. Please do gamble responsibly. Any odds that were mentioned were correct at the time of recording. Go to Pinnacle.com to uh, get the latest. And we'll be back next month with more South American soccer insights.